Hi everyone, welcome back to At The Source. I'm your host, Alex Ryder. Today we're delving into the world of peanut butter. Whether you cook with it or eat it straight from the jar with a spoon, you might not realise that actually making quality peanut butter is a lengthy process with a lot of moving parts. More than you'd imagine. And today's guest, Stu McDonald, is going to tell us all about it. He's an accountant turned peanut butter making entrepreneur and founder of Money Life. He actually didn't really like peanut butter, developing a love for it after traveling to Argentina and landing a job in a peanut butter social enterprise, like you do, from an advert that he spotted on Gumtree. After a tough start and some very entertaining stories, but with his friends and family supporting him along the way, he now has a team behind him and several great taste awards under his belt. There's no stopping him as he grows this sustainable and award-winning brand from strength to strength. Let's find out more. Welcome, Stu. Yeah, hey, how you doing, Alex? I sounded really jolly then for some reason. <laughs> I, I am jolly. It's great to speak to you, but I sounded extra jolly. So yes. yeah, thanks for joining me tonight. Not at all. Very excited to get stuck in. I've been admiring many of your other podcasts. You're already my favorite guest. That's brilliant. So let's start by you telling me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. So how on earth did you end up as the founder of a sustainable peanut butter brand? So it's an interesting story that could go on and on and on, uh, but I'll try and give you the brief. Uh, Manny Life actually started when I was offered a job as an accountant at a company called PwC. Uh, I knew, perhaps unsurprisingly, that I didn't really fancy it. So I decided that I'd move to Argentina uh, put and put off the job where the idea was I'd go there and basically build up enough guilt to become an accountant for three years. Uh, fell into work for a peanut butter social enterprise randomly. Uh, started developing a passion for the product. Uh, eventually tracked down the farm that we still source from today drove to meet them, kind of fell in love with them, fell in love with their product. And it was around that time that I started looking at the market back home and saw that whilst peanut butter was booming, no one was speaking about peanut butter the same way we speak about coffee, chocolate, or wine. Like there's no craft, there's no provenance to it. So in 2015, I came home with the idea of starting Manny Life, which was going to be a provenance-led peanut butter brand. And we imported the first ton of peanuts and Ultimately, it was a complete fucking disaster. <laughs> the day the peanuts arrived, our production partner pulled out a ton of peanuts in 25 kilo bags, my bedroom, with no one to make it. Uh, and I guess in like a panic or whatever, I got, uh, I rented out my old rubber cup kitchen, got two little kitchen blenders, got about 45 mates together over the summer. And we spent the entire summer making. 4,000 jars of peanut butter, one jar at a time. Oh my goodness. Uh, and although it was hell in the process, we kind of transitioned from being this, what was going to be a provenance-led co-pack brand to what I think has become like a genuinely authentically craft brand that understands, or at least understood the product, I think still does understand the product to an extent that none of our competitors had done to that point. So yeah, it was there. And then it's just been an absolute mad Jenny. I actually became an accountant for a year, but because uh, we weren't making any money, but I slowly, quickly packed it in. So yeah, that was it. I was going to ask, at the point that you were stood in your bedroom surrounded by these bags of peanuts, did you wish that you'd just taken the job? Did you ever think, oh my God, what have I done? It's, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so People, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I 
There were times, definitely. And it's funny because when you look back, you kind of think like, what, what drove, what drove it? And we can, we can unpack that. You can get pretty deep if you like. But I remember it wasn't like I was having lots of fun. I remember, I remember feeling immensely pressured, but there was just like a switch that just said, I'm going to do this. But I remember there was one morning where I was driving my older brother to work and like, I don't know, we were spending every other day in the kitchen. And I just like, obviously wasn't getting much sleep at the time, but I just, I just like started crying. And I think it was because the, the, I knew like one of our blenders had broken. And this was when we were selling like 50 jars a, a, a week, hanging out with my mates, making peanut butter in the, in the kitchen. So it was, it was interesting. Like I was so glad, so glad we made it, but it definitely was like quite a stressful journey mm. to get there. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but yeah, but no, delighted that I, I mean, I was a terrible accountant, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't pursue that career for so long. So to avoid the career in accountancy, you chose to travel to Argentina. So why Argentina <laughs> of all the places yeah. that you could have, you could have jetted off to? Um, to, like to be, to be disgracefully honest, I'd been there when I was a teenager and I thought the women were beautiful. I thought the food was great. And yeah, I'd, I'd loved it when I'd been there for, for like a couple of months, years before, and I fancied another trip. And thank God, because it changed my life forever. That's as good enough excuse as any, I think. Um, perhaps I'm a little bit ignorant when it comes to um, peanuts, but is, is the peanut a staple crop in Argentina? Yes. So Argentina, I believe, is the fourth largest grower of peanuts in the world. Uh, it's actually where the peanut... Um, originated like 7,000 years ago. So it was Argentina, Bolivia. That's the first discovery of, of peanut. And it is widely accepted that Argentina creates or grows the tastiest peanuts on the planet. However, they are also the ugliest. So it's quite interesting when you, when you put Chinese, American and Argentine peanuts in a bar, uh, people will go, I think, for the Chinese ones uh, because they look the nicest. But then after tasting, the majority of people will go, to the, go for the Argentinian ones. Well, I did not know that. That's amazing. Lots of fun facts when that came from Alex. So. <laughs> well, let's have some more, I think. But first of all, I want to ask you, so you arrived in Argentina. How on earth did you end up working for a peanut butter social enterprise? I replied to a advert on Gumtree. <laughs> and I met this guy, his name was Chris Sorrentino. I met him in a bar. And later my friends said, like, sure, you're not a bit worried about like, getting to meet a stranger. And it didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we just got on really well. He was a really interesting guy, had a quite a cool thing going on. And we just started, I started working for him. And I wasn't getting paid any money, but it was, it was good fun and uh, learned lots. And it was at that point that you started to like peanut butter because you mentioned to me off air that actually it wasn't yeah. this whole career, uh, which you absolutely adore now, but wasn't driven by a childhood love or obsession with peanut butter. I mean, yeah, I like proactively dislike peanut butter. Uh, it's quite interesting. I think there are a few, there are a few kind of like game changer moments. Um, so we used to spend quite a lot of time going around soup kitchens and kind of teaching kids and families how to, how to use peanut butter. and one of the things I thought was quite magic was by, by adding peanut butter to kind of healthy fruit and veg, you not only elevated it nutritionally, but you elevated it taste-wise. So it could start to compete with like the kind of unhealthy shite that kids obviously love out there and, and here anywhere. Um, so that was like an initial mm. stage. And then, as I said, told you earlier, the big, the big kind of mover was when I met the farm and I just like, I love them. And I think what's interesting is that 
was very fortunate that that farm happened to be growing peanuts because from that I decided to grow a peanut butter brand, start a peanut butter brand, but and peanut butters kind of in growth. But had I met them and they grew, I don't know, coconuts, I could have done something completely different. It was it was mm-hmm. at the initial stages. It was largely led by the kind of person to person interaction rather than any kind of grand strategic plan. So I got very fortunate. I want to ask you more questions about the the farm and the family and the peanut butter itself. But before we do that. I just wanted, to, I don't even know if you can answer this and I, I'm really sorry about what I'm going to say, but if you could answer this question in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, fair enough. No, that good? I'll, be, I'll be more succinct. Thanks was that, that good? Was it good? <laughs> I think it was. Yeah. Obviously, I want to talk to you more about the family and the peanuts and and the kind of process behind making the peanut butter itself. But first of all, I've just got one more question about the business. So how on earth do you go from selling jars of peanut butter that you've made with your mates in the rugby club kitchen on Facebook to then launching this fully fledged retail business? We didn't really launch. We just kept going. So we started selling at markets and a few shops that led to more shops, which then led to a, a bigger kitchen and ultimately a factory. And our, and our consumers just kept telling their friends and kept telling their friends and word of mouth grew and grew it. And we just became more sophisticated and went from selling in 10 little indie shops in London to, I guess, what, over 1,500 supermarket stores around the UK. So it's, yeah, just kept going. It's an interesting one. We never had a launch. It's why, it's why uh, when people ask us about Manny Life's birthday, I'm kind of just like, oh. So I sometimes, yeah, that, that's moving, moving away from six inks, but we just kept going. Just kept going. And here you are now. If you could pick one, what would be the highlight so far? There are so many, but for how it changed the business, the end of 2017, we received a call from um, Gusto asking us for 9,000 mini pots at the time. It was nine days. <laughs> and we were a team of two. Uh, we'd never thought about making mini pots. It took us a day to decide. And in eight days, we got 14 friends together. One of whom was my wife, the other, and one of them was my mum. Uh, in a kitchen act, and we got 30,000 pots from Belgium. And we packed 9,000 mini pots over two nights using piping bags, delivered it on time. And subsequently, we ended up supplying all the recipe box companies in the UK. Uh, and I think since that, just that mad week, we've delivered something like three, three or four million mini pots through those. Wow. That is a lot of peanut butter. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was pretty amazing. So I've asked about the highlights. So, um, have there been any low lights? Oh God, so many, <laughs> so many. And uh, the one that comes to mind, this is very early days and, and it's worth painting a picture. So I'd spent about seven months uh, working really hard on a fundraise and anyone who's raised money can, can understand how stressful that can get. It took way longer than we anticipated. Uh, finally closed it and, and a sigh of relief. A week later, three of our suppliers all moved in the same week. My ops director quit uh, for kind of um, personal reasons. So our supply chain basically fell apart with an ops director who left. And we let through, I think it was something like four tons of um, product that was safe, but ultimately we weren't happy to sell. And this was when we were a small, small business. So that's four tons was a lot. 
And I remember seeing it and realizing what had happened. And I was just, and it just broke me. Oh. Uh, fortunately, we, we found a, um, uh, charity in Calais, refugee, the refugee kitchen, and they took it all, which made it a bit less bad. But yeah, that was the beginning of a very stressful period for, for my life. So it was big impact for the business, but at least you were able to give the, the ingredients away or the, the peanut butter away to a good cause. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that helped significantly. Otherwise it, it was, mm. it was a pretty dark time, but long behind me and the team. So this is the bit that I'm most interested in. And this is why I love doing this podcast is because you talk to people or I talk to people who specialize in one thing and you think, well, how can, how can chatting to someone about peanut butter be so interesting? But it bloody is like just reading through uh, the information on your website and doing a bit of research into it. I I'm so fascinated by the process and I, I want to talk to you a bit about that because just like you mentioned in the intro with coffee, chocolate, a good product starts with good ingredients. And of course, that is absolutely true with peanut butter as well. So you mentioned earlier about Argentinian peanuts being quite ugly, yeah. but can you tell us a bit more about the peanuts that you use? Okay. So we, we're going to get into it, uh, Alex, and just... Pause me if pause me if I am uh, speaking too much, but um, okay. So we source all our peanuts from one farm uh, in the kind of northern Cordoba. They are something called thirty eight forty twos, which is a size, and what that means is uh, between thirty eight and forty two peanuts make up an ounce of peanuts. So so the lower the number, the bigger the peanut. Uh, they are they're about five grades. This farm harvest, we we buy the top grade. And it's grown by a kind of fourth, fifth generation uh, family. Um, what makes these peanuts quite interesting is very similar to what makes uh, kind of interesting wine interesting. So that we, we occasionally, when we're feeling quite wanky, talk about the manny life terroir, I can't pronounce it. So to, to kind of have optimal peanut harvesting kind of conditions, it's about weather and the weather, the seed and the soil. So our soil is so it's deep has a so deep deep bed loose soil low clay content and high water high water retention and what is really important uh with uh harvest peanuts is you have it takes about eight months for the harvest the the temperature overnight is critical so when you get frosty nights it's a disaster and and where we are in Argentina has warm days, kind of 28, 30 degrees and cool, but not freezing nights, kind of 23 degrees. We're learning more and more and more, but what is becoming clear is peanuts can go just as deep as coffee beans, uh, cocoa beans, wine, grapes, and we're kind of on a bit of a journey. So you mentioned as well that this isn't so different to the kind of small batch coffee makers or vineyards what do you actually mean by that so if you think about coffee 20 years ago coffee was just a commodity and peanuts is i guess ultimately just a commodity however what we're learning in coffee and what we're starting to learn in peanuts is within that kind of broad world of commodity you get varying qualities you get varying flavors and and what's interesting is if you get into kind of craft coffee one of the things that highlights craft coffee or craft chocolate is knowing where the farmer is but also creating flavor not through 
additional ingredients, but through working the ingredient better and also using the right ones. So where Manny Life wants to take peanut butter is how can we create flavor and different experiences through using different types of peanut roasted differently, blended differently, as opposed to where I think a lot of our competitors take it and where kind of big chocolate took it, which is let's use peanuts as like a kind of base flavor and add in loads of different shit to to create to create new flavors. So the perfect example of where I think a lot of peanut butter is going is like Terry's chocolate orange, which kind of makes you almost forget about the chocolate and the flavors, the orange. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Manny Life is trying to do is trying to like elevate the peanut to a level that we've seen in coffee, it begins to see in chocolate and where I think peanut, peanut butter should go. Mm-hmm. And it's the, same, it's the same process, right? So if you think about coffee, uh, what's the raw ingredient? Where do you source it from? Uh, what grade is it? Uh, and coffee's, coffee's interesting because you've got this thing called um, Q grading where there's like a uniform global uh, tastes, uh, like objective uh, taste measure. And it's all kind of quite controlled. Peanut butter doesn't have that. And we're, and we're working to kind of develop it. So what, what are you harvesting? What's the ingredient? Then it's how do you roast it? And then it's how you can, I guess, brew, brew the coffee. And, and the peanut butter equivalent to brewing is blending. So it's three steps. Chocolate's got more steps because you've kind of got conching, et cetera. But um, I'm, I'm, so, it's, I'm so clear that peanut butter will be where coffee is in how many years could take a while, but is there anyone else in the UK that's doing this? Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I don't think anyone in the UK has that mindset, but our kind of first foray into this world was when we admittedly complete backs and created the world's first dark roast peanut butter, which we called the deep roast. And what it was is we were in the kitchen. That was that summer. And we kind of accidentally burnt the nuts stressed out, thought I was going to throw it out. We blended it up, tasted it and realized it was actually pretty good. And we've kind of honed it since then. And what's happened from that is the number one peanut butter brand in the UK, the number two peanut butter brand and another, another have all launched their version of deep roast. And it's kind of popping up in other countries, but it's quite interesting how like a group of 45 mates kind of messing around ultimately kind of changed the face of peanut butter in the UK and is starting to change in the world. And we, over the next year, we're looking to kind of take that on a bit further. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Interesting that they're, they're watching what you're doing then, because, you know, you made that, you made that deep roast by accident and now others are, are, ca- are catching on. And actually you've won three great taste stars for that particular. Yeah. For that accident, which is unbelievable, right? <laughs> it's the only peanut butter in history to ever be awarded three great taste stars. Brilliant. And it was 45, admittedly honed, but 45 mates in the kitchen accent and a complete Not accident. Not bad. It was quite interesting. We, um, we, I remember being a year or two in and we met uh, one of the technical heads of the leading peanut butter uh, producer in the country and she probably shouldn't have told us this but we found out then and this we were like a tiny tiny business we found out then that they were benchmarking all their mpd against manny life wow and this was when we were making in a kitchen with like yeah three or four 
mates. Like it's impressive. Pretty mad. But it's great because obviously they're the, the kind of market is catching on, which is great because the people deserve better peanut butter and it's just kind of on our it's now on us to kind of keep moving it forward. Do you think that the fact that you have such close ties with the family whose peanuts you use is one of the reasons that you stand apart from your competitors? From a personal perspective, absolutely. I think because it just feels nicer to, to know where your stuff comes from and have a, and be able to trace it back to the soil. We, I think we could do a better job of sharing their story. And I would actually, I'd originally planned to go out to Argentina last year to kind of make a film about it. Uh, not a film, a short, short video, but COVID obviously derailed that. Um, I think it gives us a level of traceability and transparency that our competitors ultimately can't and I think people are going more interested in um so yeah potentially and I really like the idea that increasingly and I think perhaps COVID has helped in this that people tend to now or certainly myself will choose a brand for a specific product it's no longer about just going to Sainsbury's and buying all of whatever you know people are ordering their meat from an online butchery like Farmerson, for example, or yeah. Field and Flower, and people are getting their veg boxes and people are getting this and that. And I really think that the provenance of where the product comes from, the traceability is is one of the key selling points because certainly for people like myself who are interested in food, that ultimately enhances the the enjoyment of that product, I think. And if it tastes amazing, then, you know, all the better. Yeah, absolutely. And what's really interesting is that how how it differs across categories so we speak about coffee a lot uh because it's such a kind of shining example but you get people who are just like crazily into the provenance the roast etc of their coffee and like are like an ultimate considered consumer however they'll go to whichever supermarket they shop at and just pick any old peanut butter off the shelf Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because once you get get those people to realize that peanut butter is just like coffee they then immediately click and they start being not necessarily as considered, but far more considered in their peanut butter consumption. And as you kind of go across the shop, the shop, you can pick out categories that are super considered and ones that aren't. And ultimately, every category, I think, has the potential to be as considered as coffee, chocolate, meat, um, et cetera. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting journey. I think it's important that people can know where the food comes from absolutely and actually i just touched on um coronavirus there so how has coronavirus affected your business yeah it's an interesting question uh i guess three things from a business perspective uh we've we've benefited um massively and i can kind of go into why we think that is but we've, we're selling far more through our existing customers we we managed to land um a couple of new big listings in lockdown, which was just testament to the team. From a team perspective, uh, it's been challenging, uh, as any any team I'm sure would agree with. Uh, but one of the things that I was super impressed about was just how well the team kind of came together and how we adapted. And I was saying earlier that one of my kind of proudest moments uh, running my app was actually when I got COVID. Was, was completely out for the count for two weeks and like was fully switched off. And I came back and the business had, had the best two weeks ever. Uh, so it's kind of testament to everyone around around me. Um, so big shout out to the team. 
That's really nice to hear. I mean, obviously it's not nice to hear that you had COVID and I'm glad that you're okay. But I think that one thing that plagues a lot of new startups and entrepreneurs is not being able to put the business down and have a break. And although having two weeks in bed with COVID is not a break, it shows that the team around you, you've made it. You're at the point where you trust, you have a trustful team and a team that know what they're doing and you can, you can have a break. Exactly. It's fantastic. Preferably just not, you know, poorly. Not, not one, not a bedridden break, but no, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing experience, weirdly. It certainly seems as someone looking in from the outside that Manny Life is going from strength to strength. So aside from the, the peanut butter that you sell, the website has a lot of content, a lot of recipes. Um, and in January, you actually launched a recipe box with cook and author Millie Taylor, which sold out yeah. pretty much straight away. I know, I know. And I'm doing a live cook along with her on Sunday and I'm absolutely shitting my pants because <laughs> I'm, I'm a half decent cook, but compared to Millie, I pale in comparison and uh, I'm getting quite nervous, but it should be good fun. She's an absolute legend. It's really great that you're showing the world that peanut butter is not just for putting on your toast, which I think, I don't know if I'm the only person out there, but for me as a kid, and I have specific memories of doing this when I lived at home, peanut butter was something that I put a spoon in the jar and kind of shoved it in my mouth when no one was around. Good, good for you, Alex. Well done. Sometimes my finger, but I just hope my dad's not going to listen to this. Because uh, And the same with Nutella. But, um, you know, I think increasingly with recipes and the popularity of a lot of dishes, so for example, like Malaysian cooking and Southeast Asian cooking, I think more and more people are cooking with peanut butter. So I guess, you know, you just mentioned that you're quite a keen cook yourself. Do you have a favourite way of, of eating it? So there is a recipe that I don't know off by heart, but I have written down somewhere. I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll send it to you after this. But it's basically, it's when it's, you kind of make this um, peanutty, soy, gingery uh, sauce. There's a couple of other ingredients. And then, you know, when you cook a turkey at Christmas, you kind of mm. shove the stuffing under the skin of the turkey. So if you shove this sauce, it's quite thick under the skin of the chicken and roast it. It is like one of the most delicious. I mean, it's, it's the most delicious roast I've ever had. Uh, and I have it very rarely. My old housemate came out with it. Um, but kind of basic is, I actually don't like on toast, have banana, apples and porridge. But this this recipe, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it for you. And we, can, we should pin it to the, to the, uh, the podcast because it's unbelievable that sounds great yeah and definitely i will share that on the show notes because i want to try it and i'm sure that my listeners do too so i'd also like to give a big shout out to a good buddy of mine who runs a restaurant called labab and um, we had planned a manny life menu takeover uh for january which obviously got derailed by covid and pre-lockdown kind of October November time we took the team to trial the menu and that menu when it lands is is well well worth braving the trip into London because it it ranges from starters desserts uh mains to they even made a peanut butter cocktail Labab rings a bell were they on they were on a tv show potentially yeah so it's Labab they've got a restaurant in um Oxford Circus called Bab Maison. They were basically, it's quite interesting. So in the same way that Manny Life's kind of 
trying to elevate peanut butter, they launched to elevate the kebab. So they, it was launched by uh, a guy called Stevie and a friend of his called Manu, who was one of the head chefs at Gavroche. Oh, wow. And they've just, yeah. And they've just, I mean, they make unreal kebabs like off the charts and how it's served is quite interesting because we've kind of deconstructed it, uh, but well, well worth a visit when, uh, when things open up again. Oh, that sounds amazing. Kebabs are my absolute favorite. Um, there's a place in Bristol actually called Hoba Kebab who tend to do kitchen pop-ups, but at the moment they're on delivery and their kebabs are sprinkled with roasted peanuts oh, and having that, that kind of peanut crunch, they're Berlin style. So they're in these big triangular wedges of kind of Turkish bread. So they're not like a, you know, like a kebab you'd get from a kebab shop. Oh, they are so good. In fact, we had two last week. <laughs> I shouldn't be announced. I shouldn't be. Oh, you know, I was having a stressful week at work. It's fine. Right? Go for but, it. No, that sounds so up my street. Yeah. I think when we when we launch party, I'll uh, I'll invite you out. Yes. I don't feel that could be 2024 the way things are looking, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. It's on tape. It's been recorded. Tape. God, I sound old. <laughs> it's on dig- digitally recorded. No backing out now. Do you think that you'll be creating another recipe box then, given how quickly the one with Millie Taylor sold out? Uh, so that was the immediate response from the team. Uh, and we're thinking we're thinking about either doing one for Easter. I think Pancake Day could be a bit of a push. Uh, but it's it's definitely it's definitely on on the radar as an option. Woohoo. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I'm absolutely starving. Amazing. God, I'm so hungry. <laughs> it's just perfect timing because so many people are cooking and eating at home more than ever before with obviously with coronavirus. But I think I know. you know, a lot of places are offering recipe kits now and they're growing so popular. It's it's a great idea. And hopefully something that a lot of places like restaurants and brands will keep doing once we return to normal. I, I like the idea that you can have, you know, something like, so for example, the patty and bun burger kits are amazing. I really haven't tried them. I don't know. So good. So you can either go and have your burgers or you can have the burger kit at home on a special occasion. I, I think that it's only a good thing that's come out of coronavirus for sure. Yeah. The really interesting question on this is, and it's something I think about quite a lot, is how much of these habits will remain and to what extent? Or is it is it just going to be this like turning on the tap when we can go out? It's like people forget about cooking at home because because it's kind of been this build up. And there's something really nice about cooking a meal that, you, that is almost that almost is better mm. than a restaurant experience. At the same time, mm-hmm. there's lots of things you can't mimic from the restaurant at home. So I'm I'm super interested to see how how habits kind of will appear to have changed or not changed long term i totally agree i mean i you know i write a food blog um and you know i i have people who follow me just so they can see what i've put in my mouth on a daily basis so <laughs> for me it's been really strange because i probably ate out a few times a week and haven't i think i've eaten out i've eaten out twice since march so it's for me, I'm excited and looking forward to getting back, but I haven't felt that I wanted to just yet. But in terms of cooking, I've been kind of working my way through my cookbooks and making all sorts of exciting things and and probably shopping better 
taking the Amazing. time to shop from our local greengrocers, yeah. from um, you know online meat suppliers and and restaurants, restaurant kits. So I like to think that I probably won't return exactly back to how I was, but maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. It's a funny one, isn't it? Like when you have time, which ultimately we always have, but I think just time gets time gets blocked. The degree to which experiences can improve and choices can improve is is like insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting there's an interesting kind of um, I guess question over because peanut butter and every, any any food that's kind of uh, seen uh, as like a breakfast staple and obviously peanut butter is spread across the day now, but but traditionally it was breakfast has has rocketed in COVID because everyone's eating breakfast at home. And the thought that like the breakfast occasion will go back to rushing through a service station or like dropping into Pret to get a cold sarni is kind of like, I, I hope to, not, not just for business reasons, but just from like a wholesome kind of experiential perspective, I hope to God that, that the, the breakfast occasion at least remains some, uh, somewhat uh, kind of constant. Cause it's just nice. Like the image of a family sitting down for breakfast, mm. which is something that like my parents grew up with. And I, and to be honest, I before this, I literally yeah. didn't do for like five years. Mm. Mm. I guess it's, um, it'll be interesting to see how food habits tie in with a changed working environment. Because for example, I'm office based and I know for a fact that at the moment we're planning to be back in the office in April um, and I've been working from home since March, but my boss said to us, you know, realistically, we want you in the office maybe one day a week where the whole team's together. And then after that, you can do what you want. I think a lot of office-based staff will find that they don't go back 100%. And I actually like the idea of balancing. I, I mean, I'm I'm bored rigid, you know, working from home for 10 months, moving from my sofa to my office to back to my sofa and then... God, just goes on and on. But um, yeah. I think there definitely will be more time for those who work in that kind of environment to have home-cooked meals and sitting down together. You know, my partner and yeah. I, we try and sit down at the table and eat. And and perhaps in the past, we're more likely to get in late from work and just sh- shovel something in our mouths in front of the telly. <laughs> and, and that's been a positive. So, yeah, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling positive. I think that there's there's got to be some yeah. good that has come out of this horrendous time. I think so, for sure. And the, and there's examples everywhere. You just kind of need to look for them. There's obviously a lot of shit, though, but, but there is... Like a lot of um, new parents I've spoken to, or newish parents, I think having a baby in lockdown has been pretty tricky. But uh, mums and dads who would have, I don't know, had babysitters or whatever, and like maybe saw their kids, tuck their kids into into bed at night, have like developed. It seems crazy that this is a thing, but like developed proper relationships with their four or five year olds that they wouldn't have otherwise done. So I think there's there's definitely some diamonds in the rough for sure. Definitely. So. We've talked about this peanut butter. It's making me hungry. Where can my listeners get <laughs> their hands on some? So probably the most available places is Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Amazon, Ocado, or our website. And I'm, and I'm going to make you guys a code for after this, which is Saucy 15 But I always like to give a shout out to one of the early independents because they kind of got the got the the biz going and there's one in Barnes if you've got any listeners in Barnes which is South West London called Two Peas in a Pod it's run by a guy called Malcolm and he was like the third guy to ever uh, start stocking my life so 
Hopefully you at least got a couple. And I thought it was worth saying, as I'm speaking to a Bristol-based food pioneer, that I'd like to give a massive, massive shout out to a young lady called Alice, who was one of the earliest consumers and sellers of Manny Life. She discovered it like two, three weeks in. Uh, haven't seen her for years. Uh, she owns a astoundingly good uh, business called the Bristol Food Tour. So any listeners in Bristol, definitely worth uh, looking up. The Bristol Food Tour is brilliant. I've been on it twice and both times kind of rolled home, uh, which was not easy because I used to live up a big hill. Um, and they have such amazing contacts around around the city. So I'm not surprised at all that, that she's involved. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard great things. And she's a, she's a legend, and I haven't, I haven't spoken to her for years. Uh, so yeah, big shout out to Alice, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll reconnect post this. So, what do our readers get with this saucy fifteen code? This is exciting. So, I think it's at the moment it's fifteen percent off, but I'll have a think and see if we can do anything a bit more creative. Uh, but yeah, brilliant. Food, food for thought. Thank you. So, um, so yeah, no worries, Alex. Not at all. And then I think we're doing this winner, winner year supply competition as well. We are, and I'm going to talk about that at the end. Stu, we're going to release this episode on Pancake Day. What is your perfect peanut butter pancake combo? That's hard to say. So I thought long and hard about this before this because this is one of the questions you sent through, and the answer I got to is. Actually, quite boring, but it's basically the classic Nutella banana pancake, but sub out Nutella for Manny Life Deep Rose Crunchy. Oh, that sounds so good. Bananas and peanut butter. And it, yeah, and it is a winner. I wish I had something a bit more adventurous, but sometimes the classics are the best. Exactly. What's yours, Alex? Oh, yeah. Bananas and bananas are, <laughs> and are always crunchy. I have got no time for smooth peanut butter. Crunchy yeah. all the way. It's really interesting that point because um, that's a very British consumer. So, so our sales are like 65, 35 crunchy and maybe even more. But in the States, it's the opposite. So the States prefer smooth, which may tell you something ah, about. American, so I like it's, it salty as well. I'm, I'm a savory girl, really. So for me, I want, you know, rather than a, a pancake, I probably want kind of satay or, um, in fact... Do you know what? I'm not even making this up. We're having um, a Caribbean peanut stew for dinner tonight. Fantastic. So it's from a book called Ice Kitchen and the, the lady is Shivi Ramutar. Okay. And it's got, uh, I think it's, I made it ages ago and it, I batch cooked it and it was in the freezer. And I, because I knew I was talking to you tonight, I, I got it out. I have a feeling it's got um, sweet potato and peppers in it and it's really good. And that's probably one of the first times that I've actually cooked with peanut butter kind of, you know, as opposed to making a satay sauce, that's probably the first time I've mixed it into something. So how funny is that? That's literally by chance. Yeah, hopefully the, the first of many, Alex. There's, and what, what's amazing about it is that there's, it's just so, and this is one of the things that we're kind of trying to do is we work quite closely with lots of chefs. And I think establishing good peanut butter as like a staple ingredient across a whole range of cooking, not just Asian uh, or breakfast, is like a very... Um, is a very worthwhile thing to be doing because it is just magic. And it's not just because it's nutritionally great or tastes great, but from like an agricultural perspective, peanuts are like they 
a re-nitrifier. So it's great for the soil, uh, which I was kind of thinking about when I was listening to your, your, your man from Yeo Valley. Uh, mm. And yeah, mm. I think it, we owe it to the world to establish peanut butter as a staple ingredient, I think, Alex. What a great way to finish. Stu, we've run out of time and I feel like I could chat to you all night about peanut butter. And I just know that everyone's going to really enjoy this episode because the episodes that people love are the really niche ones. <laughs> Honestly, one of my best loved and most listened to episodes is with um, a lady who keeps pigs in the middle of Wales and people went mental for it. They just loved it because it's just this this lady in Wales who's fantastic, Martha Roberts, who, um, who breeds rare breed pigs. Uh, she also has a full-time job working in a big corporate, but I don't know how she does it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. So, I love those stories. Do you think her big corporate friends know that she does it or she keeps oh, under wraps? Oh, no, definitely. I think she's got about 40 pigs now. So um, I can imagine, can you imagine they're buying her like pig mugs and pig pens and secret Santa. Yeah, um, a bit of an endless joke. She probably gets a bit sick of it, but that's, that's amazing. Does she, does she breed them to, to kind of sell as meat or does she breed them for other, other purposes? Yeah. So it's called the decent company and she basically rears free range rare breed pigs and she's very small scale, although she has huge respect and, and within the, the meat industry, she really knows what she's doing, but it just kind of reminded me of this episode in that on the surface it's, it's jars of peanut butter, but it's absolutely fascinating and I've really loved talking to you. So thank you so much. Perfect. Well done. Alex, what a pleasure. Thanks very much. Before we finish this episode up, you might have noticed that Stu mentioned a competition and this is pretty exciting. So the competition is to win a year's supply of Manny Life peanut butter. And to enter, all you need to do is head over to Instagram. So instagram.com slash at the source and all of the information will be there. What we want you to do is to come up with something creative, tagging in at the source and Manny Life. It could be a picture of you, I don't know, covered in peanut butter. It, it could be something you've cooked with peanut butter. It could be something that has nothing to do with peanut butter, but we will be choosing the most creative entry as the winner. Obviously, we can only have one winner. So we also have a code, Saucy15, will get you 15% off a Manny Life website. So do go and use that if you haven't tried their peanut butter already. I just wanted to remind you guys that if you did want to subscribe and get bonus episodes, you can join me over on Patreon. So head over to patreon.com slash at the source and you'll find all the information there. See you soon, guys.